Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. But today I really want you to, to listen. I want you to, to pay attention. So we are going to talk about beyond them and us. Beyond them and us. I was born in the Congo. I think I've said this quite uh, a few times. And I lived in a town called Bukavu. If you Google it, you can find it. It's a small town in the east of Congo. And, um, and then we mo- I, I moved to Kigali. After 20 years, I moved to Kigali. Then after almost five years, uh, we moved to Kampala. After two years, we moved to, uh, uh, to Arusha in, 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 in Tanzania. And after almost five years, uh, we moved to Sydney. And uh, after four years, we moved to Tamworth. And it has been almost four years. We are in Tamworth and Ghana at the same time. So I've lived in almost s- uh, in, in six towns. I, I, I think most of you have lived in different towns. And in every town I've lived, in every town without exception I've lived, there are some areas that people know they are poor areas. In every town, there are poor areas and rich areas. As you can see on the screen, this is an image of a city where we have a poor area and a rich area. And that explains or displays them and us properly. There are people who live in the poor area who look at the people in the rich area and call those people them. And we who live in this poor area, we call ourselves us. And vice versa, those who live in rich area, they call those people them. And we who live in a rich area, we call ourselves as. Most of the time, the, the places that uh, underprivileged people or poor people live, most of the time, those people are unsafe. Sometimes you, 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 you can find easily um, people stealing or just some, some bad things happening there. And, and the rich areas are safe. You know, your, your children can play outside without... without any, any, you know, any, any danger on the outside because it's safe. It's a rich area. I, in some cases, yeah, you have schools for the rich people. You have shops for the rich people. You have gyms for the rich people. You have places where rich people go to have some coffee. A- and I don't know who determines this. I don't know how it's that, but it's just a fact. It is in Tamworth. It is in Canada. It is everywhere I've been. I, I see rich places and poor places. And everybody fights to get in the place, in the rich area. Everybody, you work hard. You, you save you so that one day you can move to the rich place. It's a dream for the people in the poor place to move one day in the rich place. 
The challenge with the concept of them and us, it's, only, it's not only limited to the economic differences. It's not, it's not only about poor and rich that divide people. It's them and us. It's beyond that. We create in-groups and out-groups based on so many factors. We have cat lovers versus dog lovers. And that's a big deal already, them and us. It goes in different types. B blue collars versus white collars, them and us. City people versus country people. We know that. We know that you can tell when someone is a country person, the way they are dressed or the way they, they talk or the way, you know, just know this is a country guy. And you can, you can feel close to that person more than a city person. Just the way the city guy is, you see, this is a city person, them, and we country people, us. And we create in-groups and out-groups based on so many things in life to the point where we, we the list goes on and on, on and on. The challenge of them and us has been around for generations. So we are not the first people to experience this. It has been there since the beginning. Them and us. And the effort to eliminate to or to abolish socioeconomic differences have been around also for a long time. People have tried to abolish the difference between the rich and the poor for a long time. It's not and recently, it's not, uh, it's, it didn't start yesterday or today. Some people have tried. Some government tried. And it didn't end well. But a few systems did work in the past. Like we have some movement to abolish uh, slavery. That was good. That, that ended the them and us in a good way. We have some laws that ended uh, uh, slavery uh, around the world in America and other places and, and it, it's really worked. It worked. So in some cases we did, we did well and in some cases we failed. Them and us. So what is the best way to manage the issue? What is the best way to manage the issue of them and us? Is it wrong to acknowledge our differences? Is it wrong to know that I'm from Congo and you are from New Zealand? Is it wrong to know that? Is it wrong to acknowledge our differences? So what's the best way to manage that? What is God's opinion about human differences? Is God mute about it or God has an opinion about our differences? between the poor and the rich. What is God's opinion about it? Because we can't deny the fact that there are poor people and rich people around us. You did not create it. You, maybe you were born and you found that system already there. You found yourself, you were born in a poor area. And your parents worked hard to move you from the poor to the rich area. And today you are enjoying the rich privilege, but you know how it feels to be in the poor. Is God... Mute about it, or God has an opinion about them and us. Jesus lives in the same environment like we are living in today. There was a big divide between them 
the Jews, and the Samaritans. In his time, it was a big deal. It was a strict them and us society. Strict them and us. You couldn't eat with them. You couldn't have a conversation with them. Luke chapter 10 verse 25. Here is the story of them and us and God's perspective on this issue. Just then an expert of the law stood up to test him. Saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Oh, you've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, on his journey, came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil on oil, olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out the uh, two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I will reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved? To be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of the robbers. The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. There are some important points to underline from this story. A lawyer came to test Jesus. The reason why the Bible says it was a test is because this man knew the answer. He came to test if Jesus will give the right answer according to the lawyer's understanding. So the lawyer comes and acknowledges Jesus' authority and say, Teacher, when you call someone by his title, it means you acknowledge the authority of the person. Teacher, what do I do? What shall I do to inherit the kingdom, the eternal life? Jesus understood that this is a just a test. He doesn't need to know. He knows. Just want to check if I know the answer. Okay, let me send another question to him. And then the, the, Jesus did not answer the question. Jesus, you are a lawyer. You should know better. Tell me, what have you learned? Tell me, how do you read it? Because Jesus knew that as a lawyer, that is one thing at least the lawyer should know. He has been studying the law. At least you should know what to do to inherit the kingdom of God. And the lawyer gave the answer in verse 27. The full answer in verse 27. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. 
No, Jesus did not give the answer. The lawyer did. The lawyer is the one who answered. Then Jesus replied, do this and you will live. What is it, this? Jesus did not give the answer, but he says, do this. What is this? That means, do just what you've just said. Go and apply what you've just said. Go and do this. You know why Jesus did not answer the question? First, in my opinion, I don't think the question was well framed. Because the question was, what should I do? To live eternal life, you don't need to do anything. You need to become someone. It's not about what you do that gives you eternal life. It's who you become that gives you eternal life. So the difference is the attitude of your heart, not what you do on the outside. So Jesus was trying to make a point there and lead this person to understand that I'm not going to tell you what to do. Because if I tell you what to do, you will go and just do. And if you just do, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You need to become to inherit the kingdom of heaven. The, uh, the, the, the lawyer thought about it. Okay, do this. In fact, the answer is about loving God and loving my neighbor to inherit the kingdom of God. So what changes there? In loving God and, change and loving my neighbor, there is nothing to do. There is something happening in your heart. It is about the attitude of your heart towards God and the attitude of your heart towards your neighbor that gives you eternal life. It's about love. Love is, 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 is an attitude in your heart. The lawyer understood that when Jesus said, do this. Do, love, go and love God, go and love your neighbor. One thing the lawyer did not understand in his own answer is, who is now my neighbor? Because he's been just taught to do what he's just said. And then Jesus is sending him the, the, the answer and he said, now he asked another question to Jesus. Who is my neighbor? This time because he was honest. Jesus saw like exactly you don't know. Now I will answer this one. Because you are, you are asking now a genuine question. You don't know who is your neighbor. Or at least the way you understand, you understand your neighbor is wrong. I will help you to understand who is your neighbor. The heart of the matter. Love is a condition of heart. Not a checklist of things we, we must do. When Jesus was in the temple one day and he was looking People were giving their offerings, were giving their offerings. And one lady came, one poor lady came with some two coins. And that was all she had. And she gave that as an offering. And some people came with the surplus of their income. And they gave that. And Jesus said, oh, this woman has gave more than everybody else. The offering of that woman was received by Jesus. Why? Because of the heart behind the offering. It wasn't the amount. 
It was the heart behind the offering. It is the heart. It is the heart. I know. I, I'm not against people giving coins in the church uh, when we give offerings. But I'm ashamed when people go to the shops, they get some coins, some change, or they buy some coffee at, Woolley, at, at McDonald's, and they are given 20 cents as a change. You just bought a $4 coffee for yourself, and you come to give to God 20 cents. God, you honor. There is no heart behind it. And, and I'm not criticizing your offerings. I'm just saying sometimes it's a shame when God is looking at us and say, he looks at you when you give your offering in the church and say, who are you giving to? If you were giving to Pastor Mike, it's fine. You can give him even five cents. And I will appreciate it. But when we are giving to God, you buy yourself a $4, $5 coffee and you give to God the change they gave to you? 20 cents? And you think you've given to God? Let's, let's be responsible, guys. I, I, I'm sorry I'm not criticizing you. I'm just telling the heart behind it is just wrong. The, hand be, the heart behind it is wrong. It's wrong. This guy knew he was kind of defeated by Jesus' answer. So he wanted to press on his conversation and go deeper. Then he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Okay, let's go there. Who is my neighbor? In most cases, we define neighbor as someone within our in-group. So we look at someone we look alike. Someone who share the same interest, someone who share some the same convictions, someone who, someone who who is one of us. We acknowledge this is a neighbor, but here Jesus is extending the definition of neighbor, is challenging the status quo. He starts a story, and let's go through that story quickly. Jesus says, "A man was traveling from Jerusalem. A man." We can understand that from the departure, from, from the point of departure of this man, he would have been a Jew. He was one of us in that story. One of us was coming from Jerusalem, going to Jericho. Then Jesus said, and fell into the hand of robbers. He did not define who these robbers were, Jews or Samaritans, or Jesus did not give that detail. So we don't know if he was beaten by, by in-groups members or out-group members. With, and Jesus did not give that detail, thank God. So we don't know. Someone did wrong. A priest happened to be going down the road. When he saw him, he passed by the road on the other side. Jesus intentionally mentioned the priest. Intentionally mentioned the function of the priest. Because a priest is one of us. A respected member of our in-group. He passed by. He was supposed to be a good man. He was supposed to be one of us. How could he do this? The priest passed by. In the same way, 
a Levite, when he arrived at the place, he's, he's, and saw him pass by on the other side. Again, Jesus specifically mentioned the tribe of this guy. Why? One of us passed by. One of us passed one of us by. It was one of us who was beaten, and one of us passed by. Not just one of us. Levites were respected. They were religious people. They were the one in charge of the temple. The most religious tribe of the Israelites. One of us passed by. The story continues. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him and you know what he did. He did all the right things. A member of the out group came to his rescue. In the Jews' mindset, you were not even supposed to talk to him. You were not even supposed to eat with him. But he went, he looked after him, he took him to the inn and paid his own money. An outsider did all that to one of us. Then Jesus Ask a question in verse 26, 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of the robbers? The question again goes to the same person who asked, who, who started the whole thing, the whole conversation. And the answer was the one who showed mercy to him, he said. Okay. It is not the origin of the Samaritan that defined his relationship to the man who fell into the hand of the robbers. It was his heart. Not his relationship, not, not his origin. It means the Samaritan went to rescue that person without knowing where he's from. He just went and rescued him. Without checking, without asking for background. Which country are you from? Which, which, which side are you from? Are you one of us or one of them? I don't care where you are from. I will look after you. And then... The good Samaritan just rescued him. Beyond them and us ideology, he just rescued, rescued him. He did not see any limit. And then Jesus said, go and do the same. This is the only, I think, I love the name that the Bible or the writer gave to this, this person. We don't know his name. If it's John or Peter, or we don't know. The only name we know of him is the good Samaritan. <laughs> I, I, I wish I would be remembered as a good Congo man, a good Australian. I would love to be remembered that way. A good black man in Canada. Good. I, I love that description. The only thing they remembered him from was just a good man. Not the name. He did such a good thing that it was recorded in the history as a good man. I pray that you will be remembered as a good person. These are three things I want you to take away today. One, be aware of your in-group's limitations. Be aware of them. What are your in-group limitations? We all belong to some in-groups. 
We all belong to some in-groups. And we can't exist without others. That's the problem. If we leave this world to your own group, in-group only, you will not survive. You need them to survive. Your in-group cannot survive alone on earth. You need other groups. God created all other groups so that all of us can coexist. So be aware of your in-group limitations. There's nothing wrong to know your culture or your preferences. God created us differently. It's a beautiful thing. We can think differently. We can be different. We can look different. It's, it's, it's all good. The problem comes when we think we are better than them. Your in-group is just different. It's not better. It's just different. Those who are sending their kids to expensive schools are not better than people who, are, who cannot afford pri private schools. They are not better. They're just different. Those who live in air-conditioned houses are not better than those who cannot afford electricity bills. They're not better. They're just different. We can be different and celebrate our differences without thinking of ourselves highly than other groups. And I mean it. Begin to think about your in-group mindset. Because we all have in-groups. And we think of ourselves differently from other peoples. And most of the time, highly than others. Than them. Two. Every time we draw a line between us and them, Jesus is on the other side. Always remember this. Every time you draw a line between us and them, Remember that you're on the wrong side. Jesus has gone to the other side. You've left him. Matthew 25, 34 to 40. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and fed and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, I assure you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. No comment. Let the word speak for itself. Whenever you draw a line between us and them, Jesus on the other side. And last point. We address poverty by sharing life together with the poor. I don't like it when we give to the poor as if we are giving to them. It is wrong to think that way. Those poor people, let's send them some money. Let's sponsor them. Let's build for them. It's a wrong way of looking at things. Let me give you God's perspective. I'm not saying that we should leave our houses and go live on the street with the homeless. That's not what I'm saying. 
I'm just saying that we should understand that the homeless on the street is one of us. It is one of us on the street. And we must do whatever it takes to get him out of there. He's one of us or she's one of us. The poor is one of us suffering. We may have valid reasons to marginalize people. For example, you may say, some people are poor because of their own poor decisions. They made bad decisions and that's why they are like that. Or you may say, they are poor because of their own lack of discipline. I went to school with him. He was just, you know, he was not even listening to the teacher. That's why he's like that. That's why I am like this. I was very disciplined. That's why I'm rich. That's why he's poor. So it's his fault. Them. We may have valid reasons like they are poor because of, of their own choices. They were drinking and smoking and doing that and while I was studying and working hard. That's why they are poor. And I'm fine with all those things you can say. And there are valid reasons why they are poor and we are rich or we are fine. They are, they are like that. No matter what the reasons are, the poor belongs to us. The poor belongs to us. So what can we do to help their children? Every time I'm in a meeting and they say, we are doing this for Aboriginal program, it's, it just annoys me. I don't know why. I've told my wife, I, I don't like that language. Because I think, I think it's making, it makes it more them and us. Oh, this pastor is for the Aboriginal program. And, and, and the problem is not on one side. On both sides of the line, people are, have that them and us. So it's not one-sided issue. Both sides have the them and the us in the mindset. When they ask me, we are going to Canada, somebody asked me, our director of projects in Tamworth asked me, what is on your heart in, Tam in Tamworth in, in Canada? I said, I can't wait to see the church in Canada not looking at one side of the town as Aboriginal people and one side. I don't like that. Why? What can we do to just have the church? Them and us. And it's not just between those two groups. It's, 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 it's all over the place. It's in America, it's in Australia, it's in Congo, it's everywhere. You know, you, you, think, you think that in Africa we don't have that? You are wrong. In Rwanda, my wife's country, them and us, a small country, almost one million people were killed in 1994. Because them stood against, us stood against them. It's everywhere. God wants you to think beyond them and us. They must be part of our prayers. They must be part of our budget. They must be part of our churches. They must be part of our schools. They must be part of our shops. They must be part of our lives. They are welcome in our lives. When we look at the poor that way, it changes everything. You will satisfy God's heart when you welcome the poor within your in-group. It is easy to think in terms of us and them. It is very easy. It's It's natural. To think them and us. But God is inviting you today to think beyond them and us. We have someone in this room who travels to North Korea and other countries to help. My belief is that 
my brother goes there because some of ours are in trouble. Not they are in trouble. Some of our brothers need help. Well done, brother. He travels there despite, despite all the things that you've heard about North Korea. He goes inside North Korea with gifts, with all this medical stuff. He's here. He's there. Why? Some of ours need help. Jesus knew in order to give us a, a supreme example, he didn't need to save us from heaven. He didn't, he didn't need to save them. Do you understand? Jesus came and became one of us so that he can save us. Jesus became one of us to save us. Would you make the pool part of your budget? Just like you have your children on your budget. Can the pool become on your part of your budget? Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.